You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Empowering of the Holy Spirit is not giving to us to feel Holy Ghost goosebumps. It's not giving to us for the warm fuzzies or the emotional highs. That's not what it's giving to us for. The Holy Spirit comes upon us to give us the power to share the gospel message. That's what the Holy Spirit is intended upon. Because we read that in verse 8 of Acts 1. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. When we're scared, often we will try and hide from whatever's scaring us. Today, Pastor Dave talks about how we can have the boldness to proclaim the gospel. He says that it's the Holy Spirit that gives us boldness. If you are a believer, God commands you to boldly share the gospel and know he has everything in control. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 1. As he begins his message, you shall be witnesses. Today, we're going to continue in our study in the wonderful book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Disciples. So if you'll open up your word today, if you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be studying verse 8 today, which is a pivotal verse in the entire book of Acts. It's the key verse in the entire book of Acts. It is the theme of the entire book of Acts. But to get there, I want to go through verses 4 through 8, and I'm going to read them so that we can kind of have a gist of what is being said, because these are Jesus' last words on earth, because next we're going to talk about the ascension of Jesus Christ. Next, we're going to talk about the time when Jesus is drawn into heaven, ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father. So these basically are the last written words that we have of Jesus while he was still on earth. So they're important to us, so we want to read them. So I'm going to begin in verse 4. So read silently as I read aloud, please. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Jesus' last words, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, he reminds them that their lives were living epistles. He says in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2, your lives are living epistles known and read by all men. This is a good reminder for us today as well. What would others know or read about our lives? What do our lives say about us? 
when they look closely at the way we're living? What do our lives speak out to the people that are looking into our lives? Would they see Jesus in us? Would they read the story of Jesus' grace and Jesus' power in the chapter of our lives? Or would they be surprised to find out that we're even Christians at all? Let me tell you a little story. At the beginning of this summer, my wife and I were at Walmart, and we're in the parking lot. We just parked the car. We're coming out of the parking lot. And I looked over there, and here was this young lady. She's a woman by now, someone who I had coached in girls' soccer back in Wildwood High School in 2002. And here she was. Oh, Mr. Shank. Hey, how are you? Give her a big hug. How you doing? You know, I asked her all the questions, how she was doing. She was in, out of school already. She was a school teacher. I was proud of her and stuff like that. What are you doing, Mr. Shank? Well, I'm now pastoring a church. Oh, really? Listen to what she said. I would have never guessed that of you. I went, what? I would have never guessed that of you. Oh, man. You talk about the Lord taking his hand and going, boom, hit me in the head. What kind of a witness was I showing back in 2002 that this girl would never thought that I would be connected with Jesus Christ? Wow. You talk about an eye-opener. You talk about something that's like, excuse me? Here I thought that I was doing a good job. Here I thought that I was showing the witness of Jesus Christ in my life. Not to her. Not to her. I was devastated. (laughs) I have to tell you, I was like, oh my gosh. So I had two choices. I had two choices of what I could do. I could basically go home, get in bed, pull the covers over my head, and have a pity party and go, oh, Lord, I really failed you. I really, I'm a, oh, 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 my gosh. Or I could choose to go home, get on my knees, and pray to the Lord, what's wrong? What happened? Why? What's going on? And vow that it would never happen again, that people would see Jesus in my life, but people would see Jesus in my life loud and clear. We don't know what we're projecting is what I'm trying to say. We don't know the lifestyle that we might projecting. Now, when I think back on this young lady, I think back of the times when she and I tangled, so to speak. We butt heads, you know. She was strong-willed. She wanted to do things her way. I was the coach. I wanted to do things a little bit differently. We butt heads a lot. I only coached her for one year. But she would have never expected that I was associated with Jesus Christ. Ouch. This is why we study the book of Acts, believe it or not. We study the book of Acts, which is particularly important because it teaches us how to experience a stimulating and exciting life. It teaches us where to get the power to live the Christian life as Jesus meant for us to live. It teaches us that we can, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, change the world. We can change our world as we live in it. We can change the way we live. We can change things that we do. It teaches us that through this power of the Holy Spirit, we can be His witnesses. We are supposed to be His witnesses, sharing His love through our lives, the way we live our lives. And I have to be honest with you. I got on my knees and I I cried out to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. For those people who didn't get that witness, who didn't see that in me, I must have been doing something wrong. Certainly it was me. It was not Him. And I prayed and asked for forgiveness and asked that he would show me. So today as we come to this most important verse in the book of Acts, the verse upon which all of the book of Acts is centered around. Now remember we said that clearly the theme in Acts 1 verse 4 to 8 is the overpowering of the Holy Spirit. It's an overpowering theme also. Jesus gave his disciples a command. He said, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait in Jerusalem. And he went on to tell us that that we would be baptized. They would be baptized with the Holy Spirit from now, not too long from now. But in verse 8 of the book of Acts, chapter 1, 
Jesus has laid down the clearest terms now of the mission for those who are to follow him. He's laid down what we're to do, how we are to follow him, and what we're to do by this. This is the mission of the church. The church, all of us. It's not just the job of the pastor. It's not just the job of the the worship leader or the deacon or the elder, but it's the job of the church. He lays this out to the church. It's a mandate of the apostolic Christianity. It's a mandate by Jesus himself. These are Jesus' last words, as we said. And he reveals to his disciples that are gathered here together, he reveals three things that we're going to talk about today. The power of the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Holy Spirit, and the plan of the Holy Spirit. These are the three things that Jesus lays out for them in this one statement. Let's begin with the power. Since I was a very, very young boy, I had an infatuation with trains. I really love, and still do, trains. I have this infatuation with them. I couldn't wait till Christmas time every year because my family, we would set up this great big train platform in the basement and had all kinds of electric trains running around it, HOs, American Flyers, all kinds of things. And we had the greatest layout in the whole wide world. And kids from all over the neighborhood would come to our house on Christmas Day just to see what new train I would get because I always got something new as far as trains. And I love trains. And I still today like trains. I like to watch movies about trains and see trains. And I love that. But my most favorite train, my most favorite train of all, was my American Flyer steam locomotive. It was about this big. It was jet black with a coal car. You've seen them, these great big locomotives that they do. Oh, I love those things. But what's interesting about them is the way they run. These are magnificent machines. These are magnificent machines when you look at them in person. And when you look at them in person, the wheels are bigger than you are. And you're standing in in the midst of these things. They're massive. But they ran on steam. The steam in the locomotive wasn't produced so that they can toot, toot, ring the whistle. That's not what the steam was produced for. The steam was produced to move the train. The steam became the power of the train. So too, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is not giving to us to feel Holy Ghost goosebumps. It's not giving to us for the warm fuzzies or the emotional highs. That's not what it's giving to us for. The Holy Spirit comes upon us to give us the power to share the gospel message. That's what the Holy Spirit is intended upon because we read that in verse 8 of Acts 1. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives us the power to be these witnesses. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This is the third experience of the Holy Spirit that we spoke about several weeks ago. I don't know if you remember back that far when we spoke about the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the epi, remember? The Greek word upon, epi, E-P-I. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power and gives you the power to do ministry and gives you the power to live for Him and gives you the power to be witnesses of His love. Some people call it the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Some call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Some people call it being filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what you call it. What matters is that you experience this thing, this unique experience with the Holy Spirit. That's what matters because within it lies your power to live the Christian life the way it's supposed to be lived. If you're struggling with the Christian life right now, it's probably because you haven't realized the power that has been given to you to overcome the problems of your life, to overcome sin. The Holy Spirit is that steam that drives you. It's the steam like a locomotive. It's the power behind everything we do. You receive that Holy Spirit 
by asking the Lord for it. And then you receive it by faith, just like everything else we have. We receive by faith. How did you receive your salvation? By faith, through grace. Holy Spirit, you receive it the same way. By faith, you receive it. You receive healing by faith. You receive everything we have from Christ by faith. We receive it. This indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is given at the moment of salvation. We talked about this. And then the empowering of the Holy Spirit, or the baptism, if you will, in the life of a believer, is the basis for all Christian life. It's the absolute basis for all Christian life. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this. As breath is the very life of the physical man, so the Spirit of God is the life of a spiritual man. By Him, the Spirit, we are reborn at first. By Him, the Spirit, our spiritual life is sustained. And by Him, the Spirit, is the inner life nurtured, increased, and perfected. Charles Spurgeon says about the Holy Spirit. But many Christians who attend church on a regular basis look pretty good on the outside. Yet when you get a little closer, you realize that they're missing something. Something's not right. They don't seem to have this inner blessing. It is evident by the lack of the power they have to change the way they're living. They're enslaved in bad attitudes, bad passions, bad habitual sins. They're not truly experiencing firsthand the power of God in their lives. Why? Because they don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. They don't recognize this power in their lives. Remember, we said that this power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, is a transforming power. It's an enabling power. It's the power to transform the lives of the men and women who are waiting around in that upper room for those days, those 10 days. It transformed their lives, and they turned the world upside down because of that transformation, because of the Holy Spirit being in their lives. You can read all you want about Spurgeon, Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, Chuck Smith, Greg Laurie, all these great modern-day saints who have led many, many people to Jesus Christ and who have led great revivals in the land and have done mighty works of God. But when you read their biographies, there's something undeniable in each of them. They've all experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Every single one of them has experienced this power and will tell you about the power in their biographies when you read them. They've experienced what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and empowers you for the work. It empowers you to do what God has called you to do. The power of the Holy Spirit becomes our legs as a church. It becomes the church's legs. It's the power source that we all should be connected to as a church to move forward. It becomes the steam that drives us and enables us to move forward as a body, just like the locomotive pulling that train. If you don't get steam up in that locomotive, it just sits there. It's a beautiful picture to sit there. And that train and that cargo will never be delivered. But once you start throwing coal in there and you start getting that steam up, boom, then all of a sudden those wheels start to slip and she starts to chug off and all the train goes with it. The Holy Spirit is the church's steam. The Holy Spirit is the power that we have to have. So we ask, Lord, Let the Holy Spirit come upon me. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, Lord. I ask. And then by faith, I accept His filling. Now what do I do? He's come upon me. Now what do I do? I've waited for the power. I've asked for it. Now what do I do? Is it there? Is it not there? Jesus continues. You shall be witnesses of me. We don't take the Holy Spirit and keep it to ourselves. We don't keep it contained in these four walls or any four walls of any church. No. It says, 
You shall be witnesses of me. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, you shall be witnesses of me. We're not to keep it to ourselves. In fact, just the opposite is true. In the Gospel of Matthew, in chapter 28, in verses 18 to 20, we have this beautiful thing called the Great Commission. The Great Commission, when Jesus stands before the disciples and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the Great Commission. The Holy Spirit is the purpose of the Great Commission. You will be witnesses. Jesus clearly states the purpose is that we will be witnesses. Witness. A key word in the book of Acts. A key word is used no less than 29 times. 29 times the word witness is used in the book of Acts. What does it mean to be a witness? What is a witness? Well, our buddy Webster defines witness as a person who saw or who can give firsthand account of something that happened. A witness is someone who tells what they've seen or what they've heard. In Acts 4, 19 through 20, Peter and John are being questioned by the Sanhedrin. They're before the council, and they're being chastised because they've spoken the name of Jesus Christ. And the council is saying, don't speak in the name of Jesus. Don't speak. And this is how they answer, Acts 4, 19 to 20. This is how they answer. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In other words, they're saying, we cannot help but be witnesses. We've seen it. We've heard it. We cannot help but to be witnesses. When we're given the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot help but be witnesses. We cannot help to show the witness because the Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that the Spirit does. Jesus told the disciples, when he, the helper, comes, he will testify of me. The Spirit will testify. Everybody's talking about Philly's game. Doc Holliday pitches a no-hitter. Woo-hoo! I'm sure those of you who saw it on TV, you were amazed that he could do this twice in a year and how it was. And then they started talking about how Don Larson did it 54 years ago. And then they found this guy who was in the Atlantic City Press who was a witness to both games. He was present at both games. He was at the World Series game when Don Larson pitched the no-hitter perfect game. And he was also at the Phillies game when Doc Holliday pitched the no-hitter. He was a witness. He saw it firsthand. And he was telling everybody, you're witnesses if you watch it on TV. You're witnesses. And I'm sure you've talked about it. Hey, how about that game? Wow. How about that? How about those Phillies? That's what a witness does. They tell you those things. They tell you what's happening. The Holy Spirit within you tells you those things and tells you about your own lives. But you might be saying, well, this is great. These guys were disciples. You know, they actually saw Jesus. They actually touched Jesus. They actually heard his voice audibly. They ate with him. I mean, it's 2,000 years since, Dave. What do you expect from us? Well, I expect no less. What do I expect from you? What's your witness of Jesus Christ? What is the witness of Jesus Christ that you have? If you're born again into a lively hope, everyone has been touched by Jesus Christ. Everyone can tell them exactly what Jesus Christ has done in your life, and that's the witness. The witness is, I once was this, now I'm this. That's the witness. Jesus took me from here to here. You can be this witness, 
of what Jesus has done in your life. You know, when you're a witness in the court of law, you stand in the court of law and the judge comes out, he passes the Bible around, I swear to tell the whole truth, you know, all that neat stuff. But he doesn't want to hear what you know, he wants to hear what you saw. What was the witness? He doesn't care about your ideas, he doesn't care about your opinions. He wants to know what you know about this person, what you saw about this person. What can you tell people about Jesus Christ in your lives? I'll never forget the very first Greg Laurie crusade back in 19, I think it was 97, 6, when he, Greg Laurie comes to Philly. And we're all training to be counselors on the field after everybody comes down and Greg Laurie gives a message. And we're all going, what can we say? What can we do? And the man who was training us said, what do you mean what can you say? What do you mean what you can do? Tell them what Jesus did in your life. That's the best witness possible. Tell somebody what Jesus did in your life. I went, oh, well, that makes sense. Therefore, I become an eyewitness of what Jesus did in my life. I've seen it personally. I've been there. I've done that. I know exactly what he did. I know exactly where I was and where he came to. And this is scriptural. This is really scriptural. Because remember the blind guy? (laughs) There was a blind guy that was healed by Jesus. And then the Sanhedrin and all the gang were, were on him. And they were yelling at him, what do you mean? You must have, your parents sinned. You're nothing but a sinner. How can you not be blind anymore? You've been blind since birth. And in John 9, 25, he says, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. He didn't have to know anything else. That was the witness. He didn't have to know anything else about Jesus. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He didn't even know Jesus' name. He didn't, he says, I don't know who this Jesus is. Remember, then Jesus walks to him and says, I'm Jesus. Oh, you're the guy. Thanks a lot. He didn't even know who he was, but he knew he had been healed. He knew he could see again. We know who Jesus is. Our lives have been changed because of Jesus Christ. Our lives are new and are now moving forward in Jesus Christ. Will you always be that witness? Well, no. Sometimes you're going to fail. I failed. Sometimes you're not going to get it right. God gets it right all the time. And God gets it right every time. And you'll never fail with Him. So the best witness of all is what God has done in your life. The best witness that you can tell someone is what has happened to you. It's funny that the word that we get from, that that translate witness in our language, from the Greek, martyr. Oh, yeah. The word martyr. Uh-oh, I don't want to be a witness. <laughs> I'll step back from that. Many people of God have sealed their witness by laying down their lives, by being martyrs. I can't help but think of Stephen, the first martyr, witnessing Jesus Christ and calling out, I see the Lord standing in heaven, opening up the doors as they stone him. I can't think of Rachel Scott, 17-year-old girl from Columbine High School, who facing down a gun barrel. You believe in God? Yes. Bam! She was dead. Not all witnessing leads to death. Not all witnessing leads to death. But you know what? Not all witnessing leads to salvation. There's a difference between witnessing and evangelizing. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May, in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Rescued us, we're ready now to stand up on our feet. Born again, we now go out. We set our hope on praise. Sure.